Hey listeners, it's Keith from Evertrue. Evertrue is the end-to-end solution for insight, outreach, and analytics for higher ed advancement and stewardship teams around the world. Recently, we launched Evertrue Studios, Advancement's very first media hub, where subscribers have access to over 100 hours of free, on-demand original series and podcasts, all created with fundraisers in mind. Check us out at evertrue.com backslash studios. I'm Kim Naoni, and this is Mentorship Matters, a podcast that examines the current and future landscape of fundraising leaders and the power of inclusive mentorship in advancement. Today, we're here to talk about, is it okay to not be okay? The issue of mental health in advancement. I'm joined by my friend, Dr. Noella Forge, a clinical associate professor of psychology at the University of Denver. Noelle, welcome. Thanks so much for having me. So I'm really excited to talk to you about something that's rather difficult for a lot of people to talk about, but I think we need to talk about. Workplace environments can be a strong contributor to employees' mental health challenges. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, these environments have clusters of people that don't like each other, gossiping, backstabbing, intentional subordination, subordination. you got hostile leadership, and just all in all toxicity. All these external pressures do impact team members, but there is a fear that if one shares with colleagues that, hey, I'm struggling or I have these difficulties, they will undermine their own standing within the team. Maybe their leadership will see them as being weak or not fit for more responsibilities. And as you know, the pandemic brought about additional stress and triggering moments due to remote work and all the other uh, worries that we had during that time. So from your experience as a psychologist, what do you see as the main contributor of mental health issues at workplaces? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think even in that summary, you're hitting on so many of them. Um, so one of the things that stands out to me first, you started talking about the team and different dynamics of toxicity that can be occurring among members or among members of that team and the leader of the group, Um, you know, humans are such social creatures. Uh, We're kind of wired to get our needs met via one another, to regulate ourselves via our relationships with others. And so when you have the social uh, macrocosm that you're describing, I mean, you're talking about a lot of ways that people's venture to get their needs met are going to be blocked. You're talking about people being unfulfilled. You're talking about people working against each other. And I think all of that just doesn't bode well for healthy human beings. Um, So that's one end of this. I'm also thinking about another key driver of, you know, us being uh, well, of having meaning in our lives. You know, we all want to feel effective. We want to feel productive. We want our work to matter. And so you know, I think some of what you started to get into are the ways that the workplaces may be set up where the work is never good enough. People never feel fulfilled by what they're doing. And not just that, but, you know, the team set up to not work effectively. So instead of focusing on, you know, what I got done today and how I'm moving forward, I think you're talking about workplaces where people are reflecting a lot on what I haven't done, what we're not doing, yep. mm-hmm. where we're not going. And then the hopeless part of it, right? Kind of spinning our wheels, trying different things, but nothing works. Um, And that's certainly 
he grinds on a person. Yeah, no, he does. I mean, it does. I think, I think a lot of times, you know, I've, I've been in environments where, you know, we meet X go, oh yeah, great. You did that, but you didn't do this. Right. And I say, but under the circumstances, I mean, we're in the middle of the pandemic right? and <clears throat> working from home, we've never worked from home before and we're able to still deliver results. Yeah. I mean, well, it's so interesting. I was just reading this article about, you know, the, the whole working from home is a great example of what we're talking about because lots and lots of research is showing people are quite productive, if not more productive, working from home than at work. Um, but now that there's this pressure to be back in the office, those who are working from home are feeling more pressure to like prove that they're working. So now they're actually wasting more time, almost six hours a week on performative behaviors that just demonstrate that they're actually working. So this is kind of along the lines of what we're talking yeah. about, people just getting in the way of themselves. I was, uh, I was reading an article uh, the other day, uh, Brent Griner, uh, Griner, who's the uh, CEO of Evertrue, posted this article, but some CEO was talking about how, you know, working from home is not good because then people can be looking for jobs. So yes. I'd rather I'd rather have them in the office because in the office, I can, I, I can peek through, uh, you know, uh, their office and see if they're actually interviewing or they actually get the work done. I was like, gee, what a way to motivate your team, right? <laughs> what a way right. to get them excited and say, hey, I, I want to work for this guy. You know, right, right. Uh, I mean, even as you're talking, right, I'm thinking about these people in cages and, you know, <laughs> yeah. and that's not how human beings are wired. I mean, you know, people feeling like some personal autonomy responsibility for their work tends to drive better products, at least in the types of work environments that we find ourselves in these days, which are more complex. And so, yeah, I'm thinking a lot about like this push pull of the workplace, like sure yeah. you can like keep your employees pulled in. Right. But, you know, certainly people are being pulled by other opportunities, but as a leader, I think it'd be much more interesting to think about what you might be doing. That's pushing people out of your work environment. People Precisely. tend to stay in places where they feel valued, their work is productive, and they, you know, they're members of this team. Absolutely, absolutely. And I've heard it so many times being said that people leave the workplace not because of other factors, money, whatever. Most of the time, they leave the workplace because of the boss, mm -hmm. you know, the manager, how you treat people, because you set the tone. I mean, if you are allowing bad behaviors to happen, you know, backstabbing and all that kind of stuff, yeah. people think it's okay to happen. But yeah. if you're not, you're saying, no, I'm not going to tolerate this. We are one team and you actually do it, not just say it, but do it. Then, uh, you know, it, it, it brings a, um, you know, sort of like a, a different mood in the office. That's right. So, so what are the key elements of a great workplace that fosters a positive mental health? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we're, hitting on it, right? And some of it's the opposite of what we've been talking about. You know, right. how do you effectively, you know, delegate work and give people enough independence to get their job done? How do you provide reinforcement so that people feel their work is actually valued and noticed um, rather than always focusing again on the negative and what's not being done. I think one of the things that we're starting to talk about, but I really wanted to focus on is also this idea of work-life balance. Right. Um, I think, you know, more and more we're seeing it, that's not like an optional discussion to have or a priority to consider the 
you know, people are kind of expecting it. We see the next generation coming into the workforce. Post-COVID, when people kind of got a taste of a better ability to balance what they have going on in their personal lives with the work situation, you know, the more we see that. So, yeah, so, you know, and then I, I also think we're seeing a tide where people want to show up more as their authentic selves in the workplace. Precisely. Um, and, you know, if you create a really uh, either sterile work environment or kind of this authoritative work environment that we're kind of talking about, I think people just feel really constrained in that and it can last in it for a limited amount of time, but at some point are going to start looking for something else. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've seen so many different, uh, uh, you know, institutions struggle with this, you know, in, in development and advancement, the demand for talent is greater than the supply of talent. And so every now and then I talk to my colleagues like, man, we keep losing people. Mm -hmm. This is happening. You know, somebody is poaching my people and this and that. And I say, well, you know, yeah, that's the reality, but what are you doing about it? What kind of environment are you creating? I mean, are you getting feedback from your people about why they're leaving? Are you having those conversations? Do they feel like you're contributing to their growth and things like that? And if you're not, they're going to be gone. And guess what? That's okay. Because if you're a good manager, if you're a good leader, you got to look out for people that work for you. You got to think, hey, if I cannot provide you with the opportunities to grow here, then I'm going to help you get somewhere else. Because that's that's what I feel like that's the covenant that you have with somebody joining your organization that Mm -hmm. come join us we're going to do this for you we're going to do this by you you know and yeah uh, yeah and I I think that that ultimately pays off I mean I think a lot of what we're talking about our workplaces I think are still very much set up with the focus on short-term gains yep and not an eye on these long-term gains um and you know if you're always putting the short-term outcome in front of the long-term outcome you lead in the ways that we're talking about that are problematic. But, you know, I think if, if you take seriously some of what we're talking about and you really focus on building a strong culture over time, eventually it pays off. Um, but unfortunately, so much of what we have set up is all about, yeah, but what's your, what are you delivering today? Exactly. What you got for me today? <laughs> so so uh, how can leaders create a culture that respects the fact that it's okay to not be okay? and support team members to be authentic about mental health challenges without the fear of adverse effects on their employment? Sure. Well, I think what we see is kind of the old adage, you know, you got to think about what you do, not necessarily what you say. You can preach whatever you want, but if your behaviors are inconsistent with that message, people are paying more attention to, to what you do. That's, you know, the meta communication of the culture. So I would say it all starts with what the leader models, you know, does the leader model genuine communication? Does the leader model taking a mental health day um, or, you know, appropriately sharing that their life is not completely perfect? Does the leader have boundaries on their time? And all of that, I think, goes a long way. I think a lot of this we're talking about is about communication, you know, and having direct channels of honest communication rather than some of what you talked about in the lead up of, you know, backstabbing and saying one thing, doing another. So what does that mean? You know, I, 
I think we're a meeting having culture, so I'm not necessarily advocating for more meetings, but you know, I think there needs to be a balance between meetings that are focused on outcomes versus meetings that are focused on process. And so how do you build in some genuine time into the, the, to the space uh, that your team is meeting with one another to reflect on, yeah, how are we working together? But again, you can't just create that space and hear that and then throw it in the garbage and move on, right? You've got to actually mm -hmm. show that those conversations lead to change. They lead to adjustment. And then people were, are going to be more forthcoming when they have that. You know, I think, unfortunately, I, a lot of leaders, you know, in the, in the type of culture we've been talking about, short-term outcomes, outcome-driven, um, they're not allowed to show a lot of vulnerability or they feel like there's no space for that. They tend to react in kind of defensive ways, you know, devaluing ways, dismissive ways. And, and employees notice that, right? Yeah. And there's no outlet for it. Yeah, no, I mean, I've seen it in, in, in my own career, how that can manifest itself. And it becomes a challenge when you're working in a team and uh, like that, where, it, you know, you're in the leadership role, but your CEO is not authentic. And you're an authentic kind of person. So then it creates a sense of confusion for the team because you're being real. And mm -hmm. they're like, uh, I don't know if I should like, I should be okay with that because I've been raised in this organization to, to know that it's not okay to be authentic. Right. And so, you know, it, it just puts folks in leadership or well, not the CEO in a very difficult situation because now they got to try to be non-authentic when they're authentic people. So right. then in the end, it becomes one of those situations where people start refreshing the resume and say, hey, man, I got to go somewhere else where I can manifest that authenticity. Yeah. Well, and I think you can link in, you know, talking about like inclusive workspaces. Yeah. You know, this, this challenge gets um, exponentially greater as we have folks with different cultural backgrounds coming into the same space. And if you've got that gaslighting dynamic, really, of saying mm -hmm. like, oh, we can talk here, but then anytime anybody says anything, it works against them. You're not going to create a space where people who have not been represented in our workplace are going to be able to be an effective part of the team. Absolutely. Absolutely. So on that note, what can team members do to support one another when they notice that a colleague is not okay? And I ask this because, you know, I had one time a colleague who I knew that they were going through, through some things personally, yeah. and that was affecting how they were showing up at work. But for many of the colleagues in the office, you know, sort of, oh yeah, that's just Susan being Susan. Oh, well, this mm -hmm. and that and that, whatever. But I, I, I did not want to betray her confidence and say, hey, you know, this is that. And yeah. so, you know, and we were not in an environment where it was okay to not be okay. And yeah. so I, I, th this is something that I think uh, when I talk to, to colleagues uh, around the country, that folks still struggle with, you know, it's like, oh, sure. you know, so, you know, somebody's got some things going on. How do you support them? How do you create that environment where, you know, as colleagues, yeah. they can, you know, you, you may say, you don't have to tell me what's going on, but I'm here for you. Right. You right. Know, we, you know, it's okay you, you, when the time is right can't talk to it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think you're alluding to the fact that this is actually a pretty complex 
thing to do um, because yeah. you're trying to help this person, but you're also navigating potentially a pretty problematic environment. So, I mean, I love what you just said, right? I think part of it is directly reaching out to the person and, uh, you know, genuinely, compassionately saying, I've noticed that it looks like things are not okay. I just want to let you know I'm here for you, whatever that means. Let me know how I can help. Right. And, and having that one-on-one -on -one, um, connection so that, you know, they may be thinking all kinds of things about what the workplace is and how people may want them out or, you know, are carrying the burden of whatever they may not be doing. And so that one-on-one -on -one connection, I think, is really important. You know, as far as navigating the system with them, I think, I think it's challenging, right? Because you could really yeah. err on the side of over-advocating for them and actually making the situation worse for them by divulging information they may not want shared or asking for things that are just never going to happen. On the other hand, to do nothing within the system just perpetuates these systems, right? Yeah. And so as you ask the question, I'm kind of thinking about allyship, broadly speaking. Yeah. And I think that that's where a lot of strength can come from you know, looking at, well, what are the cultural changes here that I want to see? I want to see for this person, but I also want them for me and everybody else who's here. And then rather than advocating for them, like on behalf of this person who's struggling, you advocate for them on your own, right? You stand up and say, I want it to be like this, or I don't like how this is functioning. Not because, you know, your colleague is struggling, but because this is not a good work environment for anybody. Mm -hmm. um, I hope that makes sense. No, no, it does. I mean, you know, uh, as we're speaking here, I'm, I'm reminded early in my career, when I, at first institution where I started uh, working, we had a situation where one of our coworkers was in a domestic violence, you know, situation. And we didn't know that until one day HR comes in and says, well, so-and-so was physically, uh, you know, attacked by their spouse. Mm -hmm. And they're in a, they're in a shelter mm -hmm. and we all know that person and what, you know, we were, we're, we're a big team that was more like a family. So all of us are thinking, Oh, well, I, I have room in my house. I have this, I have that, you know, she, we can't let her stay in a, in a, uh, in a uh, uh, shelter with their mm -hmm. children. Well, we have family, we'll take care of that. And, you know, HR is like, uh, absolutely not. You, you know, uh, we know that you care about her but you should not try to do that because in a case of domestic violence, typically the spouse knows all of us. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it can endanger the families that, that take folks in. And it was, uh, it was, it was, it was really, really uh, tough for all of us to, to navigate that because we really wanted to help our colleague, but we just couldn't. You know, and uh, and, and I, I'll, I'll always remember that it was the saddest thing ever. And, sure. and, and, and know, knowing that a colleague of yours is facing these challenges at home and right. there's nothing you can do about. It. Right, right. Yeah, well, it's it's a tight line to walk because, you know, at the end of the day, I think we have to appreciate that people have different circumstances and kind of trust that they're going to do what they need to do with that. But, you know, how do you continue to make that person feel included and part of the team with all that they're going through? Yeah, yeah, precisely. So um, as I mentioned earlier, the world of advancement can be a very competitive environment. There's a great deal of pressure to deliver strong financial results year after year. At times, competition to earn bonuses that are tied to one's performance. 
you know, intense competition to position oneself for promotion opportunities, among many things. Throughout my career, this has been true, you know, our industry has a very high burnout rate. I mean, as I mentioned, de demand it eclipses supply of talent, okay? Yeah. And most individuals stay in one place for a year or two or even less. I've witnessed this culture create a great deal of anxiety and stress, which are big contributors to mental health challenges. You know, yeah. because people, you know, it's a churn and burn. It's disrupting family lives. It's just, you know, an environment that can at times be not focused on the mission of why we do what we do. Yeah. And in the end, it affects people. So from that perspective, what can leaders in advancement do to change this environment in order to reduce burnout and mental health issues? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think what we're really talking about is some courageous leadership. I think that there's plenty of evidence that what used to work no longer works, but people are really comfortable with what has always worked, right? So kind of the, the various dangling of carrots that you're talking about. I think, you know, courageous leaders like take a genuine look at this and say, you know, is this actually getting me the outcomes that I'm looking for? Or is it increasing the stress? Um, we know that people who are incredibly stressed, anxious are not performing at their optimal level. And so, so how do you adjust that curve? I mean, really, I think what we're seeing optimal leadership these days is really people centered, mission driven, and, you know, having strategies in place to foster and support that, I think will, again, long-term focus, get you where you want to be. You know, we talk about this idea of, of burnout, and it's such a good example. I've kind of shifted my own thinking about that. Um, even the term burnout, like you're burnt out, it, it really places the problem within the individual, which I think, you know, leaders in the types of organizations that we're talking about would love to just blame it on like, you know, these, these weak employees who just can't handle it or whatever their narrative is. Um, I've really shifted to think more about this idea of moral injury, which is an organizational mm -hmm. outcome, right? So, you know, putting people in positions, again, where the mission's never going to be met you know, and they're forced to work in ways that don't align with their values, put in possible situations. Yeah, there's going to come a time where, you know, people are not fulfilled by that. Um, they're depleted. But I don't really see that. Uh, I don't see it helpful to kind of blame that on the individual. I think that that's really an organizational phenomenon. And that's what we're seeing, right? We're seeing that yeah. with, through COVID with the great resignation, people having enough and leaving these organizations that are set up really with moral injury first. So as a leader, right, I think having eyes on that, I would be thinking how in my organization do I decrease moral injury? How do I focus on the mission, center people, and, and make this job a meaningful experience for all my team members? I love that moral injury. I love that because, because as you said, it, it takes the burden away from the blaming the individual to the environment because uh, we create that environment. Yes. It, it, it just doesn't happen uh, by, by accident. And uh, if we focus on that, then we'll be able to adjust yes. and equip our teams to be better. Yeah. But I think it takes courage as a leader to go this direction because that's not what everybody else is no. doing. No. And again, the short-term outcomes, it's probably going to look worse before it gets better. 
But I would love to see more and more courageous leaders jumping on board with this sort of plan. And I think I think we'll see some huge payouts for those that, that take this path. I argue that as you look at the future, I mean, I, I you know, I get to interact with a lot of, uh, you know, younger professionals, you know, folks who just graduated or whatever. And one, one of the things I love about this generation is that they do care about self-care. They mm-hmm. do care about purpose and about having, uh, you know, having a mission that they can own and 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 that sense of belonging is big for them and right. so as i as i talk to uh, other leaders in investment i'm saying guys and ladies we got to pivot okay mm-hmm. because the future the employee 10 years from now that we're going to attract is going to be very different and our organizations are sort of uh wired like a 20th century 19th century operation Right. Whereas the folks that we're attracting uh, that, that we would like to bring to our field, they want that sense of belonging. They Absolutely. want that uh, place where they can, they can be authentic and can be vulnerable and whatever, because they bring their true self. I mean, I look at, you know, I, get, I give these kids a hard time. They get on TikTok. Everything's on TikTok. You know, <laughs> everything is on Instagram, this and that. Like, they don't care. They don't, they don't care about boundaries per se. They're like, hey. This is who I am. I'm authentic. Yeah. Take it or leave it. But yeah. this is how we roll. Yeah. And so this hierarchical order that we've had that managed that in organizations is not going to fly with this generation. Yeah. It's not yeah. going to fly. No. And so well, you see it, right? I mean, it, it, it's a lot to balance. You know, you, you really can't run a household on a single income at this point. You know, you're not going to pay off your student loans in a couple of years. So I can understand what the motivation is to make it all work. You know, you can't buy the house that you used to be able to buy right out of, you know, your first job. So I, I fully advocate um, why this generation is pushing to make work a lot more tolerable. Absolutely. Absolutely. So one argument you often hear about having more a more people-focused culture is that focusing on people detracts from financial results. You know, we just got to win, win, win. You know, you, you know, if we do anything else, you know, it's just uh, all that soft stuff is not good for the organization. So how you know we when we've we've talked about this a little bit, but I wanted to dive deeper into it. How can we shift this paradigm to a healthier perspective that values people's well-being, which in turn I'd argue will drive strong results yeah. because behind the numbers are people. And sure. if people are not healthy physically or mentally, yeah. ain't nothing going to happen. That's right. Yeah. I, I, I'm not even going to sugarcoat it. Like it's just wrong at this day and age to think that way. Um, the evidence is just not there. You know, there was a time when society was structured to work the way that you're talking about it working. But now, you know, with globalization and many other layers of complexity, you know, you have to be people-centered. It's all about relationships. It's all about, you know, talent and maximizing that talent. You know, as we've been talking about the resignations and, you know, people only staying in their position for a year or two, all that's running through my head are numbers of like lost resources. You know, you're training folks and they're leaving. You're training folks and you're leaving. Like we know how much, you know, has to go in from the organizational standpoint to get somebody trained just to leave. I, you know, the the fact that it's not more readily apparent that these organizations are shooting themselves in the foot is, is, that's kind of a mystery to me, right? Yeah. (laughs) All the data points in one direction. 
that you know, being people-centered, retaining folks, developing folks so that they work like loyally to your mission, your organization, like you're going to produce better outcomes over time. That's just a fact. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, uh, it, it often baffles me why, you know, you're staring at, you know, the bull right in the eye and you know why these things are happening, but yet yeah. you want to stick with the status quo. So uh, status quo, right? People do have a difficult time with change. And that's why I was saying, like, I I do think really giving a different approach a chance takes courage. And it takes some trust from the organization. You know, I get it like the, you know, kind of the middle managers, right? They're getting it on both ends because their team is demanding people centered like we're talking about. But sometimes from higher up, it's yeah, yeah. But what are the numbers today? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I can relate because, uh, you know, uh, professionally, I've been in that middle manager role, you know, when you're an associate vice president, you're not the vice president, and you're asked to implement certain things by leadership and your team is asking for something else. And you're trying to be to balance both. Yeah. But, but you're, you're, you're sort of a, in, a, in a no-win situation because, you know, you're not going to make anybody happy. Right. And that can be very, very challenging. Right. Well, and if you're given this limited timeline to produce these outcomes and you're out of your position, if you don't do it, I get the pressure to, well, I'll just focus again on these short-term outcomes at the expense of my team. And then talk about the moral injury, because you know, you're working against human interest at that point, but Mm -hmm. you, you feel like your hands are tied. Yeah, precisely. So as we look towards the future, How do you see mental health becoming part of the workplace fabric? By that, I mean, as we talked about courageous leadership, creating a a space uh, where people can be authentic. How do you see uh, our field and just the workplace in general embracing creating such an environment? Yeah. Well, I do hope we start to see the day where organizations that take the things that we're talking about today seriously do start to make gains that other organizations aren't making. But again, you know, workspaces where people can show up as their whole selves, they can be empowered in their positions, they can be part of a healthy functioning team with open communication. You know, I do think that that's where the future lies. And I, I think that you know, corporate rev- uh, evolution will occur where ultimately organizations that stick to these kinds of strategies are going to outperform organizations that just insist on doing it the way it's always been done. That's incredible. So as I, as I think about uh, key takeaways from our conversations that folks listening to, to, to think about, one that comes to mind is from a leadership perspective, be authentic, be courageous in creating an environment where it's okay not to be okay, yeah. where people can, can uh, share their struggles and frustrations and be supported. And not, this does not just go to HR because typically say, oh, you gotta, you gotta go talk to HR. We'll give you, you know, support. No, 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 no. We have to create an environment where one can have a mental, mental health day. You know, I mean, uh, right. Yeah, I think, you know, let's not abdicate the responsibility. I mean, HR plays an important function and, you know, people need to know what it's there for and use it as needed. But managers who say like, oh, they'll deal with that. No, like this, (laughs) this is our responsibility to co-create. Yeah, I mean, oftentimes I say, you know, everybody's HR, just like everybody's marketing, everybody's whatever. It's not just the functional unit. It's all of us. 
And then the, the, the second takeaway that uh, I got from this conversation has to do with the role of, uh, of team members. Yeah, just to go back real quick to the yeah. leader part, because I, I just want to make one last point. A lot of people get this confused with like coddling, um, you know, like leaders, oh, they just get the types of leaders we're talking about, just give everybody whatever they want. Like, that's not what I'm saying. You know, when we're talking about this authentic communication, we're talking about being a good role model for your team. You know, I mean, it also means setting limits. It just means mm -hmm. being transparent about those limits, communicating those limits, and then figuring out alternatives. Certainly. And from a, from a team member perspective, I mean, we all contribute to that environment. Yeah. We all, you know, what, what, what we bring to the workplace affects others. So being cognizant of what role am I playing in creating a healthy environment is important. And understanding the boundaries of how can I support uh, a colleague, uh, you know, who is going through some, some things while also respecting their, their space. And as we talked about earlier, communicating that, hey, I, you know, if you're going through, through something, we're here for you. Yeah. When the time is right, when you feel right, talk to us. Because it, you know, I've seen way too many people in our field just go through things and they don't talk about it, but yeah. you know that they're going through things and they leave the field and you know it's not good for us. Yeah. It's not good for organizations. You invest a lot in people, but then when they leave, you have lost their, their creativity. You have lost them as a human being. So it's really important. It takes a village you know, the entire organization, everybody, all hands in, in to help create that environment where people can be their true self. And when it's okay, look, I, I like, I like what Evertrue does, uh, you know, every Friday, it's like a, you know, it's like a flex day. Mm -hmm. So if you feel like you want to just go for a walk and uh, hang out or whatever to reach out about it, go do it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was talking to a colleague recently and they said, man, my team is stressed out and things like that. We meet like 10 times a day. I said, have you ever thought about having a meeting about nothing? Mm -hmm. Every Monday, get your team together and talk about how's your weekend? What mm -hmm. did you do? Talk about them. You know, what, you know, talk about them as a person. Mm -hmm. Because every time you get together, all you talk about is, but, 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 we got to do this, we got to do that, we got to do that. But you don't know your team. And I say, it doesn't have to be an hour. It's just 30 minutes. And yeah. so my cousin, you know, I didn't think about that. But that's 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 a really good idea. I say, yes. I mean, there, there are many people that do that where you just check in. And, yeah. you, you know, you, you, you make yourself available to your team yeah. and uh, as a human being. So yeah. I think, you know, you know, from a leadership perspective, being authentic, and creating that environment and fostering that environment where it's okay not to be okay. And from the team members, you know, helping to, to build up that environment is yeah. critical. Yeah, well, and I think, you know, as a team member helping build that environment, I think a lot of today we're talking about courage and risk-taking, right? And so I mm -hmm. think, you know, if you want there to be a more authentic environment, you've got to show up more authentically. And that certainly comes with some potential personal risk. Yep. But, you know, when we just all buy into the culture and continue to work as a, you know, you can complain about it on the side, but then you're just part of this toxic dynamic that we're talking about. Yeah, precisely. Precisely. Well, thank you so much. This has been great conversation.
Folks, there you have it. I'm Kim Naoni. Thanks for tuning in to Mentorship Matters. We'll see you soon.